Hey, blessings. Thank you for choosing to tune in to She Speaks, inspired by She Speaks Prophetic Ministries. During this time, you will hear stories of tragedy to triumph, prophetic insights, and lighthearted inspirational stories. My guests are from all over the world, from different walks of life. So come on in and let's hear. Let's take a part. Let's go. Hey, blessings. Thank you so much for tuning in to She Speaks. This is Sparkle Robinson. Thank you so much again. I just get excited every time it is time to come before you all with a new subject, a new message, and just a new um, opportunity to hear from the Lord. And so today I have another great guest. I'm excited about him as well. So um, this would be my first time sitting down with him. So you and I, all of us, will get to hear who he is together. So please help me welcome Mr. Rich Harmon. Good morning, Rich. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for being on this podcast with me this day. Oh, I'm honored to. Well, Rich, tell us about yourself. Tell us who you are and what you do and your family, whatever you want to share with us. Yeah, um, I'm um, a young man who lives in Southern California. Uh, I've lived all over the country, started out my life in Newark, New Jersey and the East Coast. And um, I got saved in 1996, supernaturally. I used to be an atheist, Sparkle, if you can imagine. Mm. And, um, and as a result of God touching my life, I became a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, I've moved probably 12 times in 20 years because I work in corporate America. Okay. So I've had the privilege of living and working in so many great areas of the country. Uh, we have two children, a 14 and 10-year-old. And uh, we enjoy talking about uh, Jesus Christ, uh, and we love working with people on how to grow in Christ. Yeah. And so there's a lot of other things I can say, but uh, hopefully that helps. Wow. I, did, I didn't know that you were atheist. Well, like I said, I don't know much about you. I have, I'm friends with your wife on Facebook, and she is a phenomenal woman of God, prophet, just on point and just... Um, just love her spirit. So I'm so excited to be able to get down and uh, sit down and, you know, learn about the other half of who she sure. is. So um, so tell us about your your walk as an atheist. And then you said supernaturally you came to Christ in 1996. So tell us what that looked like. Okay. And I'll be, and I'll be brief. And you tell me if I'm being too elongated in my conversation. Okay. I, I grew up in New Jersey, was really poor. We had rats in our house. We lived in a tenement building. It was dirty. We had no food, no heat. Uh, and it was really just a depressing situation. And I used to wonder to myself, who knows that I'm even alive? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm living in the ghetto. Nobody, you know, I'm not important. And, and, um, and I just did not believe that God was real. I could not imagine that I could live in the circumstances that I was in and there be a God. So to make a long story short, my goal as a seven-year-old was I'm going to try to make as much money as I can and try to find happiness as soon as I can. And I connected money to happiness. Okay. So now we jump to 1996. I'm living in Chicago. I've got everything I thought I wanted. Uh, I have a house on the golf course. Uh, everything's paid for. It's just, it was really awesome. 
in the summer of 1996, Sparkle, I felt really empty. I felt like, man, I thought I'd be happy once I achieved my financial goals. I feel more empty than I could even imagine. And so a, uh, a gentleman was inviting me to church at the same time as I was having these feelings. I went to church on August 19th, to make a long story short, and they were teaching about prayer. I didn't believe in prayer. I didn't believe in God. And uh, that day I said, you know what? I'm going to test this so-called God to see if he will answer my prayer based upon what the pastor was saying. So that day in August of 1996, I prayed four prayers. And it was almost as if I had a supernatural belief that if God was real, he would answer my prayer. Mm -hmm. I had no doubt for some reason on that day that that, that would happen. And so I prayed four prayers and two prayer. He, he answered two prayers with one. One prayer was, God, show me that you're real. If you're real, I want to know. And so um, he started giving me insight about an event that was going to happen October 3rd of 1996. So about four to five weeks in advance, I got this insight. And I knew it was a spiritual insight. I could feel the presence of someone with me who was very loving and very kind. Now, this is from a person who would never, ever believe in God, would never, ever believe in someone that they can't see. And, um, and, and yet I was having these feelings. So um, the insight that he gave me played out exactly the way he said it would five weeks before. And it was really about the death of my sister. My sister wasn't sick. She was not ill. She was young. Nothing was wrong with her. But God um, kept saying to me, and I could hear him in my inner mind, right? Mm -hmm. uh, he said, Rich, uh, your sister Carol is going to pass away on the 3rd of October. It's going to happen. Uh, it's out of your control. We love you. It was such a loving, and I could feel this love wherever I went during that five-week period. Wow. Um, from August the 19th through the 3rd of uh, October. It was such a loving voice. And so now it's the 3rd of October. I'm driving to work. I'm now prepared for this thing that was supposed to happen. And here I am an atheist. Maybe I, I transitioned to an agnostic, but I certainly didn't believe in God. Uh, I'm driving to work at 7 a.m. and I say to myself, if my sister Jackie calls me from New Jersey to Chicago to my office, then I'll know Carol died today. I said this at 7 a.m., and, and I laughed because I said, why would I say something stupid out, out loud to myself in the car, right? It doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So at 12.44 p.m. on the 3rd of October, my sister Jackie from New Jersey calls me to my office in Chicago. And she said, Rich, um, Carol, no, she, she left a voicemail. She said, Rich, call home. It's important. So I call her back. And she said, Rich, Carol died today. And my only response was, Jackie, I got to go. And I hung up. Wow. <laughs> I mean, and as God knows, it was almost as if when I hung up, he and I were looking at each other, smiling, in a sense. Mm -hmm. my, I, I was sad about my sister. Right. But I was so... I, I can't explain it. I didn't grieve the way you might normally grieve because mm -hmm. I knew God was in control. I knew he was real. And I knew that he used these cir this circumstance to reveal himself to me. So at my sister's funeral, I said, you know, um, and, and, and her death, I got life. And I really did. And, and I carry that with me until this very day. And um, 
what we see uh, in the physical is so limited. What we see in the spiritual is so vast. And that's how I became a Christian. Wow. Oh, wow. I was just, you I know. the short version, but, um, <laughs> but it, it was so powerful to me. And so I've never mm-hmm. grieved for my sister in a way that you you would agree, uh, would grieve. Mm-hmm. And she died suddenly. So it, it wasn't like it was on my mind or maybe I was thinking about it. This was so crystal clear and it was the 3rd of October. How do you know when, how would you know that your sister's going to die on a specific day unless someone outside of the earth told you, right? Exactly. One person told me, he said, well, you know, that could have been a demon. And, and now I'm just a, like, I, I'm just a new Christian, at, at, you know, at this point. But my response with, to, uh, to him was, because I came from a position of atheism or agnosticism, mm-hmm. if the presence of a demon still indicates now a presence of God. Right. 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 There's an opposing, you know, even if this were a deep demon, as you say, then uh, the presence of God has to exist. Now, I know that it wasn't a demon, right? Because right. the love of God is true. Mm-hmm. You feel the love of God. I knew what I, I felt, and it was it was a powerful thing for me. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. You know, uh, Rich, that reminds me of the experience that I've had as well with my parents passing away. Real quick, long story short, as well, My um, I was going to college in Florida, in Daytona Beach, and my roommate, um, I had some roommates, and I was telling one of them, I said, you know what, my mom, I, I keep hearing that my mom is going to die in two weeks. And so one of my roommates was like, don't say that. And I just kept hearing this voice tell me. And But it was so much peace wrapped around it. So when you said that about your sister, I know exactly what you're talking about, because it was like, the Lord, he gives you that warning, but it is love and it is peace with it as well. It's almost like yeah. he, he doesn't want you to be afraid, but he wants you to know what's coming. And sure enough, two weeks later, she passed away. And when my aunt called me to tell me she passed away, I told her, I said, I knew it. I knew it. And later on, my aunt asked me, how did you know? And I said, the Lord told me he had been preparing me for two weeks. And so it's just, I I love the voice of the Lord and how he warns us. So Rich, thank you so much for sharing that story about your sister and even just supernaturally how God brought you unto himself. So, and it's interesting. uh, There were four prayers I prayed, but two prayers were show me that you're real. And then the pastor was teaching about gifts. So I said, you know, what is my gift? Because I didn't believe I had any gifts, to be honest with you. <laughs> and, and so my, my point in sharing the second part of it is that in that experience, I realized a prophetic gift. Okay. Not from me. I'm not making myself out to be a prophet. But right. my point is um, God couched two answers in that one response. Right. Right. Exactly. And he will show himself, that's for sure. You know, if we ask and we're available to hear, he would definitely show himself. So, wow. Thank you for sharing that story, Rich. I just, yeah, I wanted to know about your experience because it just sounded like, okay, this is something powerful that I know that people will be blessed by. Um, So let's 
let's go into the meat of things while why we are meeting today so my last show was based on racial tensions and reconciliation and so of course we are in this woo extreme intense racial environment right now and so let's talk about that I heard you tell a story on Facebook in regards to your um, experience as a little boy with racism. Can you tell us about that? Sure. I was um, I was in kindergarten, and my sisters and I went to an all-white public, I mean, an all-white Catholic school. Okay. And so they were older than I. They were one or two years older than I was. So they went to first grade first, and then I, of course, followed them. And uh, I kept hearing about horror stories in terms of how they were being treated by the nuns. So apparently they were really brutal on us or on them at the time. And they did some things that were so race-based and so vicious. And so now it was my turn to go to first grade. So I was going from a small residential building on campus to the large stoic Catholic school building. And uh, so I'm really intimidated. I'm really nervous. I heard all their stories. So I, you know, I'm only five years old. So I have a little accident from my nerves. My, my, and this is the first day of first grade. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and I heard all these stories and now I'm fearful. So my mom takes me home, cleans me up, brings me back to school. And um, we get to the door of the class and we explain to the nun what happened. And she was so wonderful. Oh my gosh, she was so kind when my mother was there. And she said, oh, that's okay, Mrs. Harmon. Everything's okay. Come on in, Rich. And so I go in and I'm feeling good. Like, okay, she, she seems cool. And as soon as the door closed, this woman turned into an evil demon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was an all-white class. And the thing that I, I knew about Catholic, Catholic school is that you didn't laugh in class. You didn't make any noise. At that time, you were really serious uh, in terms of you as a student. And I share that with you for a reason. So now she turns into this demon, and she starts screaming at me that I'm late and, you know, I'll probably always be late. And she started beating me, and she started shaking me, and I had a white shirt on. And I still remember it, and I still can't get through, through the story without getting emotional, to be honest with you. Okay. It's okay. Because, you know, there's trauma associated with racism. Right. But, um, so, um, and, and the reason why it's emotional is because I was a little, I was so quiet and so unassuming and so low-key as a little boy. I was so, you know, I, I was just a low-key child. And for her to be beating me in front of the whole class, and the thing I remember, I, I remember two things. All the white kids were laughing at me hysterically, and it was almost as if she was enjoying their laughter, mm-hmm. as if she was putting a show on. And then I still remember the beautiful fall day in New Jersey where the sun was coming through the window, and I just kind of focused on that. And so, um, and, 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 and I knew at that very moment I didn't understand racism, but I knew it was a racist moment. <laughs> mm. You know, you, you sort of know when it, you know, bites you in the face as it did. Mm-hmm. And um, she, I think I got a failing grade for every day that year, except for one day. 
Wow. Because I remember bringing my report card home for the first grade and I had used for 179 days. And one day I had an S, which was satisfactory. And my mother asked me, well, Rich, why are you, you know, failing? I said, I don't know, to be honest with you. And, and it's true, I didn't know. And the nuns did a lot of other things that were really evil and based in racism. They hated the fact that there were black kids in the school. And they wanted to get rid of us and make it difficult. So there were many things that they did that year to me that were really rooted in intolerance. And that was my first introduction to racist abuse. Oh, my goodness. So did you, after that day, did you go home and tell your mom the experience? I told her, and she didn't, she didn't really believe us. Okay. When we would tell her, and, and you know, I'm just being honest with you. Right. And I think, you know, when you think about Catholic school and, you know, we went to the same Catholic church that was connected to the school. Um, I think I thought perhaps I was doing something wrong, right? right. That was part of the, you know, complexity of racism as a mm-hmm. five-year-old, right? right? I'm thinking, well, did I do something wrong? And we tried to explain to her. And I think she dealt with it, but, um, you know, eventually she understood and she removed us from the school, eventually. But initially, uh, it didn't turn out the way we had hoped, Mm. or the way I had hoped. Okay. Mm. Wow. So even going back to that time, Rich, just thinking about when you were talking, I was visualizing those kids laughing and just thinking about how embarrassing that is and how that could set someone up for not just failure later, but it can set you up for like just such insecurities. So how did that play out? I know that you talked about the rest of the year, but how did that play out the rest of like the years to come, like few years um, after that? How did that play out in your life? Well, it's interesting because I started to stutter immediately after that incident. And I still remember the nun would force me to read in front of the whole class. Okay. Uh, and I think she did it to embarrass me more than anything else. Because if she was being sincere, there's ways that she could have encouraged me or worked with me on the side. Uh, but stuttering is, was a huge impact on me coming out of that first year. In fact, uh, you know, in Catholic school, and I think my confidence was shaken. So, um, you know, I just, I wasn't self-actualizing, as it were. I was probably not being my best. My grades suffered a little bit. And I just felt like I was on the outside. So I lived on the outside of the school, so to speak, Mm -hmm. you know, from an emotional standpoint. Right. So, yeah. And, you know, stuttering is a, a pretty traumatic experience, uh, especially when it's, you know, sudden onset after an incident like that. And the stuttering was, I think the stuttering was symbolic of the insecurity and the low self-esteem as a result of that, right? right? I knew that I was not good enough in someone's mind. Wow. You know, that just um, is such a sad reality that we are living in today. And even with everything that we see going on. So tell me about your thoughts, just like I asked uh, my guests last week. Tell me about your thoughts when you saw 
on the news or however you saw the incident with George Floyd or even the incident before that with Eric Garner or um, Ahmed Arbery, when you saw those incidences, what did it do for you? What did it do to you, rather? Um, I think what all of those circumstances did was confirm to me that we live in a society that's based upon race, uh, racism that was founded on racism. Uh, it confirmed to me again, by the way, that um, our society is really, um, our society operates synonymous with systemic racism. Okay. And a lot of people don't see it, but the, all of the people that are victims of it see it. And it, it, it really had, it, you know, it just had a profound effect on me there's a lot of frustration that I have. Um, I started, you know, understanding and studying, you know, what should our response be to this? How, how do I cope with this personally? Right. You know, my blood pressure probably goes up every time I hear about, uh, you know, an incident like this. You know, I think about Sandra Bland. Oh, I yeah. think about, you know, Philandro Cast uh, Castillo, right? Yes. Last name. Yes. I think about all the people that died at the hands of police brutality that never got a chance to have a voice because we just dismissed it under a rug. Right. A perfect uh, um, example is the one in, uh, I think, Aurora now with the... Um, What's the gentleman's name? Elijah. Elijah McLean. Yes. Mm -hmm. He's getting visibility because of George Floyd's incident. Right. We are now waking up to say, wait a minute. Um, this happened before and the, you know, the officers were not, uh, dealt with at all. They sort of dismissed the incident. So it's good that they're going back. The exciting thing is that we have a lot of people who are recognizing uh, you know, the ways of police brutality and that uh, people are now understanding more that maybe racism does exist. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Even right. though we knew it did, you know, our whole lives. Right. Exactly. And, um, oh, yeah, with Elisha McClain, just watching the video briefly of what I could stomach, I just, my heart, oh my gosh, it just, it just, I felt like it just broke watching that and hearing his voice and hearing um, just him pleading for his life. And then I, on the other side of it, I was just thinking about his mother and how is she living this out right now? And uh, I saw just a brief little like clip of an interview that she did. And, and yesterday she was saying, you know, you know, everybody's so upset about George Floyd, but my son got killed a year ago and it was no, like no press on it. And so just to see her heartbreak, not just, not just that her son died and well got murdered, but also the fact that it took so long for it to get some press, but they, thank God that it is getting pressed today and there's a rally for him today, but just, it just broke my heart. And when you hear how it happened, I mean, they, they gave him a sedative, which seems highly inappropriate. Right. Uh, the excuse was that he had some form of delirium. And that's a classic excuse that is used oftentimes when it comes to black men being killed by police. Mm -hmm. uh, they said, well, he had some excited delirium and therefore we had to uh, choke him out. And 
I'm glad that people are waking up to see that there's a pattern to systemic racism. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So even in your own life, Rich, like even, you know, now in your own life, you being in corporate America and how does that, how do some of the systems, I guess, affect you or how have you been able to um, navigate through some of these systems? You know, it's interesting. When I was seven years old uh, living in the ghetto and, um, and saw all the depression around me in every form, and I remember on this one hot summer day, I, I still remember the steam coming up from the tar streets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had no air conditioner. It was really depressing. And I remember thinking, I'm going to do whatever I can to get out of this situation so I don't have to live this way as an adult. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so to answer your question, when it comes to a racist system and how we are evaluated as African Americans, I have been determined, just like a lot of us, the only thing I can offer is my best wherever I go. So racism has fueled my fire to always be the best. Now, there's a burden to that, really, when you think about it. Uh, you're carrying a burden because you, you, you feel like the only justice you're going to get is tied to exceeding the norm or um, you have to overachieve. When I go to a hotel room, when I'm traveling for business, I make sure that I clean the room before I leave. So, so they don't talk about that black guy was in that hotel room. And, and of course, it's a mess now. I know that's that may be a little bit over particular, but um, having to always be on point is uh, sometimes exhausting. Yep. And, and I do it because I know people are going to judge you simply because of the color of your skin. And so that's my response. I also have to say, you know, what does the word of God say? And there's something bigger than me. There's something bigger than racism. And I need to attach myself to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as a man of God and you and the racism that you have faced, how do you, um, how do you, I guess, balance the two, if you will, how do you balance the Jesus of your heart and then wanting the justice to come forth as well, but seeing everything that's going on, how do you balance the two or how do you, um, yeah, how do you balance it? That's a great question. And, and the balancing act is a challenge because when I hear, when I hear people talk about reconciliation of the races, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, to me, that is impossible today. Mm-hmm. It's impossible because there has been no acknowledgement of the racism. I mean, just to get people to say black lives matter, just in general, right, uh, indicates that they probably don't believe that. But um, there there can be no reconciliation without any acknowledgement. And so that can be frustrating. And the balancing act for me is to really understand my place in the kingdom of God. What would God's response be? Um, how do I protect myself against, um, you know, the enemy, so to speak? And how do I channel? How do I channel my energy into something that's meaningful, to, you know, for other people? Mm-hmm. 
And quite frankly, how do I educate the people who are ignorant on this subject of racism or that are ignorant on the subject, uh, subject of police brutality? What I try to avoid, and, and, and it's hard sometimes, is you're hating the oppressor. Right. It, it is. You know, I'm a radical at heart mm-hmm. in the natural. So the question becomes, how can I be a radical in the spiritual? Because at the end of the day, our goal is to help win souls. And I got to always remember that every day. If I don't, I'm going to be distracted. Exactly. But that doesn't mean that you don't stand up for, you know, Elijah McLean. That doesn't mean that you don't speak out against injustice. That doesn't mean that you don't challenge your pastor's to speak on the subject of racial injustice. I just wrote a letter to the Orange County um, Register, which is the largest paper in Orange County, and it's an opinion piece, and it's and you know it asks the question, why are many local churches silent on issues of racial injustice? Mm-hmm. That's the question that I try to answer in this opinion piece. And, um, and so channeling myself in areas like that will at least transfer this energy from, you know, a potential negative to a positive. Exactly. Also, how can I help young people to self-actualize or, or make a difference? So. Absolutely. And I think those are all great points. And I've had to tell myself that as well, you know, instead of getting so angry where I was a few weeks ago, um, now I'm trying to get to the point where, okay, how can I educate these people that are ignorant of police brutality or racism or even Black Lives Matter? And, you know, yesterday I had to put on my Facebook page, well, I put on my Facebook page is that you might not agree with the organization of Black Lives Matter, and I get that. I understand that. However, the statement still remains the same. Black lives still matter. So I think people get caught up on the organization, and and rightfully so, as believers, now we're if we really break down the organization, we're not going to be in agreement with every single thing that they stand for. However, the statement still stands alone and is still true. And so I'm trying to get people out of that because to me, it's it's an excuse to keep um trying to stay in this place of ignorance, of keep saying, well the organization is not biblically sound and all of that. We understand that. So let's get past that. And let's still say, can you still agree that black lives matter? You know? And so that is, that is a frustrating place, but it's a place where we're trying to get to at least. Right. And my biggest frustration is that the church is not responsive in, in things that are race issues. Um, I'm most most disappointed at how the church responds at the individual level and at the collective level. And so, um, you know, you talk about the Black Lives Matter movement may not be totally aligned with Christian values. I would be bold enough to say the church is not totally aligned to Christian values. And I know that's a bold statement, but we'd have to unpack that statement to really understand what I mean. But I think that the church can be some of the most racist elements in our society based upon their history Mm -hmm. and based upon some of the things that I'm hearing now. Yeah. 
So our standard, by the way, let me clarify that, right? Because if I leave it there, you're like, is this guy a Christian or not? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Jesus Christ has to be our standard. The Bible has to be our standard. And so I'm one of those people, I don't believe much of what I hear. I want to really do my own research to understand what the reality of a subject is. And so understanding what Jesus's response is, understanding what the Bible's response is, and then try to help change the church from the inside out where you think they're off, off base from the Bible. Mm-hmm. Wow. Does what, that make sense? Yeah, it does. And what a powerful point it really is. So we're going to take a break. And on the other side, um, I want you to expound a little bit more on that point. Then I want to talk about your family because how it's affecting your family right now. So we'll be right back. You're probably wondering by now, what is She Speaks Prophetic Ministries? Why is the S lowercase and the H and the E capitalized? Well, the H and the E signifies He Speaks Through Me, which is God. She Speaks Prophetic Ministries is a preaching teaching and training ministry, offering gatherings to empower men and women in training up prophets and intercessors. If you are interested in knowing more about She Speaks Prophetic Ministries, please be sure to visit our website at sparklerobinson.com. Now, back to our show. All right, blessings. Thank you so much for keeping it locked right here to She Speaks. I am Sparkle Robinson, and today my guest is Mr. Rich Harmon, and we have just been having a candid conversation on racial tension and just um, possible reconciliation and what that looks like, even if that's possible or not. But on the other side of the break, uh, Rich and I were talking about where is the church right now in the racial issues? So let's pick up where we left off, Rich, and what do you what would you say to a pastor right now that is listening that has not really touched on the racial tension right now? What would you say to them? Um, I think it would be about you know, what does your church stand for? And what are the values around justice and racial equality that you represent as a church? And do you do you have the opportunity to influence thousands of people to Christ by taking a stand on something that Jesus Christ Himself would fight for, mm-hmm. and um, and 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 just understand what they think of racial injustice and what do they think about you know the whole concept uh, of police brutality? Um, you know, when you hear things about, you know, the coronavirus, the conspiracy theories, you hear a lot of Christians talk about socialism. And uh, a lot of these things reveal the hearts of pastors in the church. Right. And I'm sad to say that a lot of our pastors are ultra conservative, right wing, and there's a tendency to support those things that are uh, anti-Black Lives Matters. Right. Um you know, in the purest sense. So, you know, how do we get back on track and you serve those who are in most need? 
And I think right now, the 40 million uh, black people in the U.S. have some needs that are being unfulfilled by the church. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I've been wondering myself, where are some of the pastors? Why are they not speaking out? Is it, are they speaking out privately or what's going on? But yeah, I've been wondering myself. So um, part of why they don't speak out is that, and I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, go ahead. Okay. I think part of why they don't speak out is because they don't see a similarity between themselves, especially if it's a mostly white church. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, in Orange County, the churches are, you know, 90, 90 plus percent white. Uh, they don't have a connection to African-Americans the way they should. They see African-Americans as black Christians, when in reality, we're simply Christians who happen to be brown or, or you know, dark skin or or, you know, black, but we're Christians. And so we have the same, you know, challenges and emotions as others have. And so I think they they see us as it's them against us. Right. And, and so talking about things of color is very uncomfortable because they've never done it. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah, because this is definitely, um, these are deep, in different waters in a sense of what we're seeing like of course you know those of us that are black we have lived this all of our lives for yeah yeah. and so this but the the national recognition that it has now gained it's really causing people to either go hide in the cave Uh or come out of the cave swinging and not know what to say or saying stupid things or just trying to um, find their thoughts, you know? And so a lot of people are saying, well, if you're, if you're not talking, then you're complicit. But my thing is I would rather somebody just be quiet if you don't know what to say. And if you're going to say something that's going to add insult to injury. Sure. And that would be wise, right? The Bible talks about the wisdom of being silent. Right. Um, my my thoughts are if you cannot address racial issues as a church, then you may not be fulfilling the 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 the, the need of the church. In other words, you may be ill-equipped to represent the church. Absolutely. Um, you know, the battlefield is the mind. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if a church can address racism, racism and uh, racial injustice from the perspective of we are fighting. A spiritual battle and this is how this spiritual battle manifests itself it manifests itself in racism and and manifests itself in division and we don't welcome racism there may be a link to so many people that uh, you know that they can bless right absolutely absolutely and then you know my heart is um, so happy for the pastors and for the churches that have really um, done a great job speaking out about it and coming against it and trying to understand it as well. And it's okay to say that they don't understand if they don't understand, you know, and to get some insight from somebody that is black. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's talk about this, Rich. So your wife, Dominique, she is not a black woman. I'm not sure what her nationality is. I'm sure you'll tell me, but then you all's kids are biracial. So what, mm-hmm. how have, has your family been navigating through all of this? Well, it's, it's interesting. <clears throat> 
for me, it's not any different in terms of how people might perceive me, right? Okay. Um, you know, a lot of people perceive me as an African-American. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, whatever their, you know, thoughts and beliefs are about that don't necessarily change. I think for my wife, people will treat her differently depending on whether she's with us or whether she's by herself. When she's by herself, I think there's more of an inclusionary nature to people. Um, she's sort of included on the team, so to speak. Okay. And when we're together, we get a lot of uh, looks that are sort of undesirable looks. Mm-hmm. And people seem disgusted or or they seem uncomfortable. And, um, and that doesn't really bother me because I've seen those looks toward me. Mm-hmm. Uh, now those looks are just toward us. So, um, you know, I don't think it's been a challenge for me. It's been more of a challenge for her. Okay. Okay. Um, and she's a Italian. I think she's part Italian. So, okay. uh, since you asked. Okay. And my kids, um, you know, I think that they, they probably will have some emotions and some feelings over time about it. You know, they, they, there's, my daughter understands how, some blacks are treated differently mm-hmm. or that blacks are, you know, treated differently. My son is still learning. He's only 10 years old, but the system will educate him, unfortunately. Right. Absolutely. And I will say that too, just um, having the conversation with your wife, with Dominique, she is so, um, what people will call woke, you know, she's um, right. very, um, she's very about it. You know, she's right. she's going to speak up and she is um, just to me, just an amazing voice of reason, you know, trying to uh, get people to understand this is what blacks are going through right now. And this is how we should respond and then bringing the biblical side of it as well. And so it's been just really great hearing her talk about it and write about it and just be out there on social media trying to get people to really understand, you know, how to navigate through this. Right. So, and I think part of it is that uh, she, she sees the difference more than I see the difference, mm-hmm. right? right? Because everywhere I go, I'm an African-American. So people will treat you like you're invisible. They will underestimate you. They were, they'll overestimate you in some situations. <laughs> um, you know, there's a distrust that I feel from people at work, I think I'm the only African American in my whole group. Okay. So that comes with challenges. But she sees how how things are when she's by herself versus when she's with me. Right. So there's a clear demarcation in terms of the experiences. Okay. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. Now, every black family pretty much has had the talk. The uh-huh. talk <laughs> in regards to you know, police brutality, when you get stopped by a police, what is your response? Have you had that conversation with your son more particularly or with I, both I, of them? I haven't, but I will. Okay. Um, I think that I've kind of dropped a few seeds, but here, you know, he's 10 years, he just turned 10 and I, and, and I think it's time to really talk about that in greater detail. Just one-on-one, man-to-man. Right, right. What has been his response and your daughter's response uh, with seeing the George Floyd incident and, and the other incidences? What did they say or what did they do? I think they uh, 
they can't believe it. They're, you know, very disappointed in it. My daughter, more than my son. Um, and, and, and it's, it's one of those situations where there's a, there's a cumulative effect to the post-traumatic stress of racism mm -hmm. and seeing it. So unfortunately, they're on a journey in that direction because this happens quite often. And so I think they're amazed by how frequently this happened. Think about it. There were, there were I think, four instances that came up in about a two-week period. Right. Right? Right. And so, you know, there's an awakening that's taking place that we're going to have to help them uh, work through. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, even just thinking about some of the other incidences that we've seen in the news or on social media with the lady that was in the park and she had her dog. And uh, I think the guy's name was Christian or Christopher or something of that sort. Right. And yeah. he was just telling her about her dog and, and how she got so dramatic about it and wanted to call the police on him. So there has been several of those incidences caught on camera, like in the last few weeks. And yeah. um, so you as a black man seeing that, what do you, what, what is your reaction to that? Um, it's, I, I guess I've, I've come to the conclusion that we live in a society based upon racism. Mm -hmm. So it's never a surprise to me. Um, it, it simply reveals the vast nature of racism. And um, it happens in every walk of life. And so I've got to guard my heart against it. Right. I, got, I, I have to put on my armor of God, so to speak, uh, and, and deal with this head on. Right. Right. And I got to stand up against injustice, period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got to find a way to make a difference in a world that's racist. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's like, um, I, I was thinking when I was watching some of those videos, just thinking about how many black men are behind bars because of uh -huh. situations like that, that never really happened. Uh, they were lied on. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And just all of that situation and just being, just feeling so, um, so angry, but yet again, having to go back to the word and say, father, you know, help heal all of our hearts and help us navigate through this according to your word and according to your spirit. So that yeah. has been, you know, just a place of where us as Christians that are facing this, we have to find ourselves back yeah. at the feet of Jesus. Right. Yep. And it's a tenuous situation. Right. It's funny, when I was seven years old, I remember these four cops came over to us as we played uh, around our building. And I remember they threatened to take us to some abandoned building and they were going to beat us up. Oh my goodness. Because they said that they knew that we were going to be, you know, criminals is what, you know, they said. And here I am, seven years old, and that was my first experience about police, you know, brutality or their attitudes toward right. African Americans. Mm -hmm. And so I could have easily ended up in jail, you know, for whatever reason. You know how many people are in jail for trumped up charges? Exactly. You know, how many people, I mean, we know how many people are dying yep. 
Elijah McLean should have never died. Never. Yet, despite the fact that he died in police custody, the police were found to be uh, not culpable for that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's amazing. Right. Really. I mean, that's mind-boggling. That'll cause you to do something drastic if you're not guarded. Yeah, it will. It will. And it and even just thinking about Brianna Taylor and how those yeah. police officers have not been arrested. They have not been charged with her death and she did nothing wrong. And nothing. It, just like Elijah McClain, and it's so frustrating, but even looking at uh, Richard Brooks, okay, we understand that he shouldn't have ran. He shouldn't have been fighting. Then we get that. But should he have died like mm-hmm. that? No, absolutely. And shot in the back. Right, right. right. So you know, I I, I was uh, reading about Mary Turner. I don't know if you've heard of her. No, I haven't. Mary Turner was murdered by the Klan in in uh, 1919. Okay. Go back and read her story. Okay. And it really gives you uh, some insight into the deepness and the visceral aspect of racism. So throughout history we have been experiencing this and um and i'm so glad that it's it's coming to light but the question is how do we make some real and lasting change right exactly exactly well we have about 10 more minutes rich and so what would you say to the people listening what is on your heart even um of course, you've shared your heart, but what else is on your heart that you would like to share in these last, you know, few minutes or so? The thing I want to share with anybody who's listening is that there has been a lot of confusion. There has been a lot of confusion around coronavirus. There's been a lot of confusion around racism. There's a lot of confusion around conspiracy theories. And, and, and our world is a mess right now. Yeah. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, there's one response that might be helpful to all of us who believe in Christ. It's about protecting the mind uh, with the armor of God. And really, our battle against racism is in part spiritual, right? And so we can all be deceived into a response that may not be consistent with God. But when you take a look at Ephesians 6.10, it talks about how we need to put on the full armor of God, not the half armor, but the full armor of God. And if we do that, we will be able to uh, reflect truth, righteousness, uh, you know, the gospel of peace. We'll be able to reflect faith and, and, uh, you know, salvation. And the full armor of God is found in the word of God. And there's one way that Satan can reach us. The only way that Satan can reach us is through our thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. That's why Facebook is so filled with people's thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. Hmm. Uh, But our response has to be, let's guard our minds and our hearts so we can deal with this evil day, which is what is talked about um, in Ephesians. And... Satan will attack you 24-7 on this issue of race and on this issue of fear and all the things associated with us, I mean, uh, associated with that. And that can be a sound response to that. You know, Jesus was uh, tested by Satan. 
when Jesus was in the wilderness, he, uh, do you remember that story? I do. And I Satan do. came. Okay. Yeah. Um, what the story says is that Satan tried to tempt him three times. Mm -hmm. um, and each time Jesus spoke the word back to Satan. That's right. Okay. Uh, the, the word was the defense that Jesus used. What the story doesn't say, by the way, is that we think that Satan was there physically talking to Jesus in the wilderness, right? Mm, right? If that were the case, if that's our visual, well, heck, that's really not being tempted at all. Because if, if Jesus came to your house, I mean, if Satan came to your house tonight and tried to tempt you, and he announced himself as Satan, that wouldn't be a... You know, an issue you could repel him, right? Right, right. What's a what's a greater challenge is that Satan spoke to Jesus by Jesus' own thoughts. Yes. So Jesus was having these thoughts in the wilderness, uh, and that's what caused it to be a moment of temptation. Mm -hmm. So we as Christians will be tempted to respond to the world through our flesh, through our hostility, but uh, I would encourage you to go to the Word of God and find out what God says about our present day because I can assure you that's our only defense. I would hate white people if I was not guarded by the Word of God. And so I would be just as bad as someone who hates me. And so we have to rise above our, our physical feelings, our fleshly feelings, and and understand that this is a spiritual battle that we can win if we choose to. Nice. That's right. That is so good. And that is so well put. It really is. Because um, I love that, how you said that the word is our greatest defense. It really is. It's our, our strongest. It's one of our strongest weapons along with prayer and along with, you know, just surrendering ourselves to the Lord. And even the word that you gave in regards to um, Ephesians 6 and 10, putting on the whole armor of God. That is so correct. Exactly. Right. Right. And I think that's what's happening, too. And I I mentioned this in my uh, live the other day is that we are ill-equipped when we are putting on just half of the armor or we're trying to put on half of the armor and then um all of the and also if we feel like we're just going to go and get a gun and that's going to protect us but we don't have a prayer life we don't have a good study life we're ill-equipped we're not ready for this world we're not ready for what's going to take place because as believers we are responsible um for you know, having a relationship with the Lord, at least going before him and asking him to minister to our hearts and to help our hearts, especially through times like this, because there is no way that we can get through times like this without him. Absolutely. And and you make a great point. The reason why people don't see or value the word of God as much as they, you know, they should is because I think they don't recognize the fact that the word of God is tied to something else, which is critically important. In fact, it's the most important thing that a Christian should carry, uh, you know, other than the fact that they're saved by grace, right. Right? right? Being saved, being saved by grace is the most important thing you carry as a, you know, as a Christian. Mm -hmm. The number two thing that you 
have to carry as a Christian is faith. The only way you build faith is through the Word of God. If you study the Word, the Word is water, the faith is the wet. Mm. And if I asked you for a glass of water without the wet, you would look at me like I was crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> but if you want faith, digest and understand and internalize the Word of God, and you will have faith. When you have faith, and that faith grows, do you know you can literally win over your enemy? You can literally overcome anything that this world throws at you. Mm -hmm. And so I would ask Christians to, to think about the relationship between the Word of God and faith. There's a one-to-one -one connection. If you have one, you will always have the other. Right. Right. So good. That is so good. Well, we have about um, two more minutes left, Rich. Would you close us out in prayer? And before you do, I just want to thank you again for just spending this time with me and with the listeners as well, talking about racial tension and, um, you know, possible reconciliation. But like you said, we can't have reconciliation until we have some acknowledgement of what has really been happening. And you've given some really great nuggets throughout this time. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's it's uh, my pleasure and honor. Yes, sir. So. so Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We thank you for the opportunity to share your word uh, with, with Sparkle and the people that are listening, Heavenly Father. We thank you for being God. We thank you for giving us the grace that you give us. You say that you put grace at our doorstep and mercy at our doorstep daily. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's a template of justice, Heavenly Father. We pray that, uh, that all the hearers of this will be inspired to connect the word to faith, Heavenly Father, that they would be built up in their spirit, man, and that we pray that each person um, reaches the destiny that you have called them to reach. And we pray over all of the family members who have lost uh, children and brothers and, and sisters uh, to violence, Heavenly Father, to this whole police brutality and this racism and that, that you would illuminate yourself to those families and so these deaths would not be in vain. We pray that that your peace that surpasses all understanding would be, uh, would, would be given to these families through the word of God, Heavenly Father. We thank you so much. We thank you for the privilege of serving you in the way that you've called us to. And we, th we thank you for Sparkle, Heavenly Father. You, we pray that you continue to um, give her the prophetic insight and the determination to press on and that she would continue to be a blessing to other people. We thank you for her. We thank you for her life. Her life matters. Her life counts. Her life has value. And you are using her life right now in the kingdom of God. We thank you for that. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Rich. Thank you again. And God bless you. you. And tell your wife hello for me. I will. Not a second or another minute. Not an hour or another day. But at this moment with my arms outstretched, 
I need you to make a way as you have done so many times before. Through a window or an open door, I stretch my hands to be. Come rescue me. I need you right away. I need you. blessings. I hope you were inspired, enlightened, and or informed. To contact me, please visit sparklerobinson.com. Remember, as always, go for your God-given destiny. God bless you.